0: Smart Counsel is sponsored by the Master's in Counseling Program at Multnomah University in Portland, Oregon. Reese Basimio is a counselor at New Pattern Counseling in Gresham, Oregon, who specializes in gender, sexuality, addiction, and spirituality. Ben Poling is a counselor in Portland, Oregon, who specializes in sexual addiction and identity at a New Day Counseling Center. Welcome to Smart Counsel, Harm Reduction Live! This is Rhys Basimio from Smart Council. Counsel, um, introducing again one of the other episodes we found in the archives. And again, it was a great conversation, great content. Uh, this was a time I was uh, lecturing in an addictions class for a counseling program and invited um, my then co-host Joshua Moore to come speak with me. And we did a live discussion on harm reduction in an, addi- in an addictions context. And we did some questions and answer. I would love for you to join the conversation with us. Please again, do pardon the sound quality. We were uh, live and uncensored. (laughs) We did not swear. I promise. Uh, But uh, the sound quality will not be quite what you're used to here uh, because breakfast puppies had not yet found us, but the conversation is still good. And I hope you can listen along. Um, Harm reduction. I know it's a pretty loaded topic and there's a lot of opinions about it. Um, we're attempting to bring the conversation out in the open, you know, where we disagree, where we don't disagree. Um, it's good to be able to at least uh, hear the other person, hear the other perspectives. So uh, thanks again for listening. Um, please do drop us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud. Uh, five stars are great. They help us get, get seen. Also, please visit patreon.com slash smartcouncil and learn how you can become a supporter of the podcast today. Your dollar love helps us quite a bit, too. Uh, Thanks for listening, and let's keep the conversation going. Welcome to Smart Counsel. Harm reduction versus abstinence. Smart Counsel provides perspectives and resources for providers and students on spirituality, mental health, addictions, relationships, and trauma, our very favorite. I'm Reese Basimio. I'm Joshua Moore. And we are live with the the Masters in Counseling Cohort... 15 in the addictions class where we've been spending the last few weeks talking a lot about drugs, alcohol, sex, alcohol, more drugs, and trauma, all the fun things. So tonight we are talking about, well, we've been talking about diagnosing and models of treatment and what is addiction and theorizing what is addiction, and there's a lot of answers to that. Tonight, we're talking more on the recovery end of it. Now that we've diagnosed the person, what do, what do we do with it? And so we're talking about harm reduction versus abstinence as a treatment approach. So now I know how that applies to, to my field doing addiction, uh, doing addictions counseling uh, for you with, with your field. How do these terms work with what you do?
1: These two terms, harm, harm reduction and abstinence. And abstinence. Um, well, of course, you know abstinence is a wonderful thing. I think we have a hard time getting there right from the beginning. Uh, I like to use the stages of change model in my practice. Um, and because I'm a private practice in cash pay, there's usually a lot of discussion on stages of change. And when I do addictions, there's a lot of heavy requirements for my individual private practice. So I don't just place requirements on the client. I place requirements on the family. So basically, in short, I only work with people who are at a certain point, like um, some contemplative, mostly planning or action, right? That's my practice
0: for sure. Which would make sense because you're in an outpatient setting correct? and and you don't do groups.
1: No, no. I'd love to do groups. I just, right. I don't do groups currently
0: for sure. So you need somebody to be in a very open-minded state, correct. uh, later stages of change. Correct. For sure. Similar in my private practice. Like I have the capacity to do a group so I could do a little bit more intensive work, but yeah, a little I,
1: more pre-contemplative maybe for sure. And does everybody know those terms? The stages
0: of change. Well, we are going to get to the ah, stages of change. Favorite. yeah. Yes. So, very briefly, and we'll talk about them more later. So, there's the five stages of change. Five, six, five. Depends. They keep changing it. So, when you're in pre-contemplation, you're basically saying, I don't have a problem. Shut up. Go away. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with me. You guys are the problem. Right. Pure denial. Uh, contemplation, where you say, eh, maybe I got a problem. It's not so bad. I can handle it. I still don't want to change.
1: There's like something going on in your head and it's like, hmm, I'm really uncomfortable.
0: <laughs> Preparation is when you're thinking, okay, I have a problem. I should change. I'll do it next month or I'll do it after I finish this last pack of smokes or tomorrow or I'd like to, I just don't know how, or I need help finding the right facility or I'm mm-hmm. still expecting other people to do most of the work for me. Right. Then you get to action, which is the fun part. Well, it's the hard part for the person and it can be fun for the clinician to watch because that's where the magic happens. This is where somebody is saying, okay, I'm here, I'm ready, it's my window of opportunity and I'm being given just the right set of resources and everything and now I can start to make changes to my behaviors, my patterns and everything.
1: And it's it's more of a perspective than it is a behavior because they can still be using an inaction, in my opinion. Is is that correct? you have more experience than me?
0: They could be. And well... Again, so getting into whether it's an abstinence or harm reduction model, mm. um, you know, the succinct version is that an abstinence model would say if you use, you're not in action anymore, you've relapsed. Whereas Oof. harm reduction could be more process-oriented and say, oh yeah, change, it's a it's a nonlinear process and you have to cycle through these things several times and relapse can actually be a useful learning opportunity. And... So there can be in the action phase or sort of in the blurry line between preparation and action, this zone of succeeding, not so succeeding, succeeding, not so succeeding until I finally start succeeding more and more and more. And there's logistics that go into how sustainable that is.
1: Okay, sure. So abstinence then, what's that perspective
0: look like? Abstinence, well... What is abstinence? Yes, so <laughs> define it. when we talk about levels of use, we'd say abstinence is the absence of the use. Um, and on the front end, before an addiction develops, the, the abstinent person is the person who does not engage in the behavior at all and maybe never has, maybe has plans never to do it. Okay. Uh, on the other end, when they're now in the recovery process, if we're saying treatment, recovery looks like abstinence, uh, oftentimes it's it still means the the absence of the substance we don't do it anymore okay uh, it can look like white knuckling which is our casual term for well if you can picture like you're holding on to something for dear life and it's pure willpower pure strength you're holding on as tight as you can until you can't and then sometimes you relapse you relapse again
1: um, and then you you slip past you slip back into a different stage
0: for sure and this is something to always watch for in any sort of treatment context is somebody who has a lot of willpower and will seem to do really well at first um i started working with a guy who
1: so you mean to suggest that this is their perspective well or it could be either <laughs> i'm not sure what you mean sorry um so is this the clinician's perspective or the client's perspective?
0: Well, from my perspective, when I see somebody who is able to stop a behavior really suddenly and then.
1: Oh, well, okay. actually, when I it's see like somebody. A system of viewing their addiction, for they sure. view their own addiction through the abstinence right. model. When okay. I see
0: somebody who's able to stop a behavior really suddenly, I actually get really suspicious. Ah, because thank you. that clears it up. I think, well, how long is this going to last? You know, optimistically, idealistically, I would love for it to last. I would love for miracles to happen. They don't happen very often. So more often, the more typical process I've noticed is that it takes people time and many tries to get a a successful recovery process going and sustained. So... So when I see somebody white knuckling, I say, Ah, you're going on willpower. This is only gonna last as long as your energy lasts. It so they crash, they
1: crash harder and eh, not
0: necessarily okay. harder, but they air quotes inevitably do crash. Okay. And so and that's the the other hazard with, with abstinence is um, abstinence can potentially be externally motivated and not require internal change. Okay. The, you know, theoretically, you know, if one goes to to prison, you could be obstinate. Oh, just, well, because of ex- <laughs> just because there's a lack of just because there's a lack of of exposure, unless there is exposure,
1: because
0: <laughs> I've worked in these facilities, I know what you mean <laughs> for sure. But but the person in that environment doesn't need to change anything about themselves. That, they that don't makes need sense. To, yeah,
1: so. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yes, and they're probably white knuckling it just not by choice. Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we had a question.
1: So does this apply to other things like anger?
0: Or other emotional problems. Mm-hmm. Are white yeah. And where they're white knuckling. I would venture to say that yes.
1: So I don't specialize in addictions. I specialize in trauma. Uh, so I defer to Reese on a lot of these things. But I use the stages of change model on everything. Um, and I think I'm better for it. Because my first job in counseling was addictions. I don't tend to do that a lot. But I like, I actually love that I do the stages of change model on just about any client, and most of my clients, the vast majority of them, have no addictions. And I still love that model. So, it's worked successfully for me. I suspect other people who've done addictions work and have moved out of it find it still to be useful. Right? Is that correct, Reese? I believe so. Okay. That's my experience. Yes, please, one more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, when when I said that people, quote, don't have addictions, um, what did I mean by that? And I, I was referring to more Addictions uh, in a diagnosable way, maybe DSM 5 way. And part of that's because um, we're doing things that are making us unhappy. We're doing things that are lonely skills, not family skills. We're doing things that ultimately lead to destruction. Can that occur? outside of substance abuse and gambling because that one's not substance abuse now it gets weird again it gets gray doesn't it um that's not wait that's not a substance it's still an addiction so can
0: pornography, pornography is another one we pornography sex food. yeah food.
1: food okay so now Facebook. we're now we're broadening it's getting grayer and grayer the more we talk um religion you know this pathological religiosity or For sure. spiritual abuse or something but it's
0: like you said yeah. it's it, uh, and I'm referring to this diagram I drew on the board where the, the unholy trinity of addiction is there's the user, the thing being used, and the reason why it's being used as well. And once you factor in that third component of the reason why it's being used, anything can be done addictively or compulsively. Okay. And I like your terms, lonely skills versus family skills. I'd say anything that you, any behavior you do that drives you away from people in an unhealthy way or drives the barriers between you and people, um is definitely flaggable as an alarming...
1: In our society, it doesn't lead to death very quickly. In third-world countries, lonely skills lead to death very quickly. In our society, it's very, very slow, but eventually we exhaust our resources, and we don't get the resources. We need to kind of sustain healthy living, and it it will destroy us. So So what about sex addiction?
0: Is that a lonely skill? Sex addiction is a lonely skill. Yes. Because a a person addicted to sex... Yeah, is sex very, addiction very
1: is sex addiction a lonely skill?
0: Yes. Yes. So, so looking at looking at addictions and compulsive behaviors in this way, so we'd say abstinence from a behavior like this, whether it is alcohol, heroin, sex, porn, gambling, explosive anger, religiosity, chocolate, etc. do going to be wrong; I'm very religious. Yeah, still. I know me too. <laughs> well, but um, but hopefully there's like a real. A, a, different depths to that. Another There's podcast episode. element. Right. We'll do another episode about that sometime. Yeah. <laughs> but well, so when, again, so when we talk about abstinence, if we're saying I need to change, I'm ready to change. I'm just going to stop. You know, I'm referencing the Bob Newhart video. Just stop it. Or I'll put you in a box. SNL. You should look it up. It's great. <laughs> abstinence. Uh, we liken that to white knuckling where it's just by sheer willpower and it lasts as long as your energy does. Uh, a tricky thing is that Abstinence has a lot has maybe some questionable motivations. You could be abstinent just because you got caught or just to avoid consequences, not because you actually believe in the change that you're making. Correct, which can lead to more resentments. This has come up a lot in the addictions recovery facility where I'm working, where uh, clients are talking about and and it's good that they're talking about this, but they're talking about how much they miss their drug and how much they miss like the culture and the feel and the world of it because let's 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 be honest, using is fun. In a way, for a mm-hmm. time. And the idea of abstaining for the rest of one's life can be really overwhelming and intimidating. And that can lead to some resentments because it's like, it's a loss. And it's not necessarily a loss people are choosing for themselves fully. So, it, so, so it's, it's something to factor in. And there's a blurry line perhaps between abstinence and sobriety that mirrors. As one, Well, one could start out saying, I really resent that I can't do this thing anymore, which can gradually turn into, okay, now I'm accepting this and I'm, and I'm excited about this change. Where, and that's maybe where abstinence starts to shift into sobriety, which is kind of where we want to be. Um, so anyway, so that's when, when we talk about abstinence, that's what that is. And we hold up abstinence. Well, in this case, we're holding up an abstinence-based model of treatment next to a harm reduction model of treatment. So, what is harm reduction? And what do we think of it?
1: Yeah, what do you guys think? Taking the lesser of two evils? To help them, to get, to their end goal. To help them get to their end goal. So maybe triaging which drugs to work on in clinical settings uh so choosing you said choosing to focus on maybe the more destructive drugs like
0: heroin maybe not addressing the cannabis okay which would work because we recognize some sub, some some behaviors and substance sub, <coughs>
1: substance <laughs>
0: <laughs> some behaviors and substances are just more damaging than, than others so removing the more damaging one would definitely definitely be progress someone's doing a damaging behavior like, like cutting and you can transition them to a less damaging mimicking behavior like like scratching or the snapping of rubber bands. Yep. And it can be hopefully not a long-term solution. But and if-
1: it is kind of controversial, but yet you'll find these things in rehab. You'll find little rubber bands that they're allowed to flick themselves with. Like, do we think it's a healthy behavior? No. No, but,
0: but it's the lesser of two evils. That's a harm reduction model. Another controversial item that might come up would be if, I, if there's a known community of users who use needles yes. to provide clean needles, the, 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 the recognition being that, well, they're going to use anyway, Needle we can but let's at least reduce the risk of infectious diseases. And, and
1: yeah, so we have needles that are not being thrown in random places that could stick random people being returned, and we have clean needles that aren't going to be reused from
0: person to person spreading diseases. quite. I think that's a that's a, that's a good point, Correct. that it takes time to build up tolerance to a substance. So it takes time to work your way out of it as well.
1: Yeah. So another thought would be, I read this yesterday. Um, there's a state, I wish I could get the specifics, I apologize for not reading more carefully, but there is a state that is now allowing people of IV drug users to go to their doctor and inject in front of their doctor and use the drugs in the hospital so they are under supervision. It's either proposed or it's actually happening. I'm uncertain. I'd, go ahead. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that might be what I read. That might be what I read. So you said there's a location where people can go and there's medical staff there and people can go get high there. If they're overdosed, there's a medical professional there. So basically it's a space where they can be supervised to use their
0: drugs. I may even been thinking of related concepts and this is getting into the very controversial realm of politics and everything. But so in Oregon now for several years, we've had legal cannabis, legal cannabis use. And in, I think, Washington and Colorado and some other places, uh, it's legal. And I think that is that I think this falls under the category of a harm reduction measure in that if we decriminalize it, then we can regulate it or. Or
1: monitor it or supervise it it.
0: or something like that. (laughs) Quality control. or Quality control. And I know there's been talk about, well, what if we decriminalize all drugs? What if we decriminalized sex work? Except that I think prostitutes are still getting charged, aren't they? I think I think uh, sex work on the streets is still technically illegal, at least in Oregon, I think. Not unless it's a video camera. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but the point being is that we'd say, okay, so we recognize that there is the presence of this behavior and it's not going away. So let's at least try to take some control over it or create a way for it to happen safely.
1: What do you guys think about that? Does anybody have any positive or negative reactions? It's okay to feel different ways. It'd be chaos. You feel it'd be chaos? You feel it's chaos. Be chaos? Yes. Johan Hari, Hari, TED Talk. Everything you know about addiction is wrong. Addiction. Okay. Who ha- who has
0: decriminalized, um, addiction completely. I just heard about this Portugal country that has decriminalized everything completely. I've heard of other
1: countries doing it too, I believe. I can't
0: remember were compelling in themselves because their drug abuse
1: statistics are way lower than the United States. Right. So this is a complex topic. I was just in Alaska a few days ago where I was speaking alongside with a lot of FBI you know, department heads and um, you know, international advocates on human trafficking. Uh, one of the individuals there was the individual who filed the lawsuit against Backpage. Do you guys
0: know what Backpage is? Some of you do. So, you want to summarize? Backpage is a site where individuals can go pick up a sex worker, usually an underage one.
1: Or hire murderers, or just about anything you want to do. That's too. So, it's basically just a place, like Craigslist, but a thousand times worse for no other purpose. It's been out for a while and just came down because of a lawsuit of somebody who I spoke next to. Should it have come down? Some people are nodding yes. Does anybody disagree? Should that page come down? Yeah, should it did come down, should it have come down? And there was there was actually a really great dynamic, and I love this conference for this reason. So we actually had sex workers that were sitting there arguing for why it should have stayed up. Okay. It's safer, it's more regulated, that's what they're arguing. Okay. Doesn't mean you have to agree. They were saying that maybe some cities are having more murders after it's come down. Do you think that's do you think that's true? Do you think it's possible? safe in a sense well for disease. Yeah. You know, but, you know, you, you wouldn't be sneaking them back out like and... Right. Maybe there's more of a paper trail or something like that. There's, there's a, you know, they know where they were or information. You don't agree with I it. Disagree. And, and I, I, would like to say I'm being facetious. I've argued some things that I agree for and I've argued things that I disagree with. Okay. I don't think it's that simple. I don't think that you can unilaterally say, well, it's, you let's legalize everything. Okay. Children Infants were sold on backpage. Do you really want to allow that? Babies were sold on backpage. Mm-hmm. Okay. Does that make you feel worse? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so where's the line? Yeah, I mean, it's the same as in for anybody. It's Yeah. Was- mm-hmm.
0: So this would be the comfort of an abstinence-based model, is because an abstinence-based model works with lines. They're defined lines, defined right. boxes, clear-cut standards. And there's a comfort in those because things are clear. Right. The discomfort is when people cannot meet the standard and that's problematic. So the, the benefit of a harm reduction model is that there gets to be more of a spectrum in this case, or yeah. room for creativity. Right. And well and,
1: and I guess if some of you are uncomfortable with this discussion, maybe you should be. Like maybe that's the baseline we should accept. Well, I feel a little <laughs> uncomfortable with this discussion anyway. So maybe we should just be uncomfortable. Yeah. It's a bull band. It's a bull band. There's just a practical piece involved. Yes, with there's a practical piece. Mm-hmm. And there's also a model or a line you have to have. You have to have some kind of plum line that you're reaching toward, even with, even with allowing people to have, you know, go and, and get their drug. Um, what's the ultimate? Purpose? Yeah, there, there is a line. right. So, so with this anxiety, what does your anxiety mean? So you, it might be that it might, it might, well, that feeling might mean that it's not right. Yeah. Is that, is that, does everyone agree? Some people agree. I, does anybody disagree? I'm
0: like, okay. yeah <laughs> For me, I think it's more than that.
1: Because yeah.
0: It's the struggle of how do you define what is right? Okay. Is that morally right? Is that practically right? What's morality in this instance? Mm-hmm. Is it ultimately just saving lives? Is
1: it? Is morality just saving lives? Is it, right. Yeah. Protecting I, people. in a
0: is it, is it protecting people is it idealizing well in the context of, of this class in, in particular when we talk about addictions and counseling we also talk a lot about spiritual integration and yeah we've for years been circling around the concept of well what is spiritual integration how do you do it and this i think is a really great playground for spiritual integration to happen because we'll say okay so here's this idea of this back page thing or this harm reduction thing or these safe to get high rooms and doctor's offices you know are those okay or not you know can we draw a clear line around those, or should we? Uh, and how do we make that decision? And again, it's, the, the, line? it's the how do you make the decision that's where like, the integration piece happens, because if you are and, operating... And, and where
1: it, we make the decision, why do we make it there? For sure, but all
0: of that happens... I mean, you, you, you the professional, exist within a particular moral framework, and you can't get around that, and you can't ignore that, uh, and you can't pretend it's not there. Um, so you got to recognize what that framework is and what that is dictating to you.
1: Can I add mine? Sure. And uh, you can respond, anybody can respond, okay? Uh, but I'll start by asking the question, is having a safe house where people can go shoot up under supervision, is that codependent? What do you guys think? I think
0: it's enabling.
1: It's enabling? Is it codependent? That, that's kind of a loose term, maybe. Yeah. Some people would probably say yes, some people would say no, Why would we, you know, but it feels enabling. Okay. Is that bad? Yes. Is it
0: bad to me? Is it always
1: bad? Oh my gosh! But is it enabling? If it is, is it wrong? But the thing is, these people are still going to. You're not stopping these
0: people; they're going to do. It's true. We're not stopping them. (laughs) The people Mm -hmm. are going to use anyway. I can save somebody's life by
1: allowing them to do this thing that I do not agree with. I wish that they
0: didn't. Mm-hmm. We I mean, wish that they. they oh, we wish yeah. that they wouldn't use. But is, still use anyway, good least, uh, is it still enabling it? if it's a good thing? Is it still enabling if
1: it's a good thing? No. No. Because they're going to do it whether I'm enabling them or not. Whether I'm there. I would say, yeah. Go ahead. We have another response. Well,
0: yeah. So I'm wondering too if if, if it is enabling or whether, mm-hmm. whether it is not. If, are Are we preventing them from hitting rock bottom?
1: That's a question. It's a controversial question. You can follow that downstream to its natural end. And we're not, we don't have a lot of services that we could remove based like on that rationalization. harm
0: reduction prevent a person from hitting rock bottom, yeah. which in the course of a typical addiction recovery story, the, the rock bottom experience is often held up and is it's like the come to Jesus moment, uh, which is like highly revered. And there's a lot of things that go into that. Um, and if you deprive a person of that, you know, are, are you really helping them, or are you preventing them from going through the process that will actually get them actual help?
1: So I worked—yeah, go ahead, one more thing. You might prevent them that time. You might prevent them that time, okay. I worked uh, as a medical professional. I was an orthopedic specialist in the Army, where I got to do a lot of fun things. Has anyone ever worked in the medical field or received a surgery where you had that disclaimer? Yeah, where you had that disclaimer? Well, they always give the same disclaimer, at least in all the medical institutions I've worked in, where it says, we are proposing this surgery that we believe that the intervention has greater benefits than outweigh the risks, okay? So, translating that into maybe the real world of enabling or codependent behaviors that we engage in with addictions is that the cost of learning might be too high here. It could be death, okay? So, do we ever engage in behaviors with our own children, those of you who are parents, where we are saying, we'll learn that lesson later, we're just going to go ahead and stop this situation from happening. So, parents are wide-eyed going, yes. Like, I, the most extreme example, which is an absurd example when I'm using it anyways, is I don't let my kid run into the street. And I grab them and I pull them back. They could learn a valuable lesson if I let them go. Do I want them to learn that lesson? <laughs> they could die, but we're talking about that level with a we're, we're talking about that level with addicts, though, aren't we? They could die. Yeah, but they could die every single day of their life. They could. Well, they could. Yes. So, so where is the line? Yeah. Do we get uncomfortable when we ask that question? Yeah. Are we going to be uncomfortable? Yeah. We're going to keep being uncomfortable. Yes. hmm And I don't know. hmm and I am not really, so Reese should probably so, step over me. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. to hit rock bottom when that actually works for them? Because I know people yes. hit rock bottom many, many times. And so, are you interested in that on like a philosophical level or a statistical level? <laughs> how many times does someone have to hit
0: rock bottom? And when do you give up on them? Is that the question you're really asking? That was the sort of question, that was the sort of case that was continually baffling to me when I worked in community mental health, was these, these individuals who would just cycle in and out, in and out, in and out. And it's that one diagnostic criteria of you know, chronic, unsuccessful, repeated, unsuccessful attempts to stop or con- cut. Ugh, I can't see it. It's that one, where they're trying and trying, and they're canting and canting. And yeah, how many times do they have to hit rock bottom? out, they use, they, they
1: um, need to come in for medical treatment because they've overdosed, okay? Yeah. They come in, they get clean, they go to the rock
0: unit, they spend two weeks there,
1: they get stable, they go out, and they do it again. So, And they're, they're using, they're killing themselves, they're hitting rock bottom, I mean, they're ending up on respirators, but then they'll get better, they'll get stable, and they'll go out and they'll do it again. So what is rock bottom? I mean, the, the whole concept of rock. It's a little bit of rock bottom. You're uh, you're you're saying rock bottom seems like a subjective term. Yeah, I think so.
0: So yeah, so it's good and bad. right? So so in this context, so a person who is chronically relapsing. It's again, it's the it's the baffling, frustrating, really antagonizing phenomenon that happens in society. Where again, we'll look at this person, we'll say why? Why are you doing this? You know how bad this is for you. You know how bad this is for everyone around you. You know, you want to get clean. You want to stop and, and you keep not doing that. Why is that happening? And, you know, we can look at the, all of our theories. We can look at, well, what's the underlying issue? Have they really addressed their trauma? Have they developed emotional resilience? We can look at, do they have that community? Do they have support? Do they, have they engaged with a higher power or not? Do they need to engage with a higher power or not? Has their brain just been too corrupted? And at that point, here's where I like to say that uh, an addicted person, especially a homeless addicted person, an addicted person experiencing homelessness represents every problem in society all at once. Because again, that person who is chronically relapsing, they exist there in a context for a reason. And that reason has to do with how they were parented from birth, it has to do with how they were educated. It has to do with the housing system. It has to do with the economy and whether or not they could get work options. It has to do with benefits. It has to do with healthcare and the way we, the type of food we provide to our people, and their relationship skills, relationship and, yeah. skills and relationship skills as they're portrayed in media compared to how they actually happen, and you know their interactions with religion and spirituality, and then trauma. Oh, and some drugs too. But all of that is contributing to why this person is continually relapsing. And you want to say, oh, yeah, we just want this person to change without saying all of the rest of this stuff needs to change. Maybe there's a little more reason why that situation just keeps perpetuating. Yeah, but we can't change all those other things. I'll have to get back (laughs) on my soapbox.
1: (laughs) That ultimately, when people do get sober, it's because of their choices. And we can't choose to have people make different choices and we can't choose for them to skills develop. Or we can't choose for them to learn family skills. We can't choose for them to pop out of delusion or uh, um, there's a word for it. I'm, I'm thinking about it. Um, yeah, delusion's is a close enough word. We don't get to choose for them to, to basically wake up or break the spell or magically wake up tomorrow with an unbroken brain or unbroken nervous system. Um, but people do heal. S- some of them heal very slowly and some of them spiral down into addictions and continue to damage themselves. And we don't get to decide who
0: those are. We don't get to decide who they are. But we can develop a practice of mercy toward these people and regard them as still bearing the image and likeness of Christ, still worth our care and our love and compassion. And maybe the gift to us is that, I mean, I don't know if this is helpful or not, um, it's good for us to care for these people. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. In us. And so hopefully society can change around these people anyway by, by caring well, for them. and
1: do we stop loving our kids because they are habitually not changing their behaviors? No, and we can't. I mean, we, we don't actually, like, view these people as our children, but people who have needs and, and you know, we draw very strict boundaries when there's problems in behavior but we don't necessarily stop people from dying. You know I mean, and that's my personal opinion, okay? Like some people will disagree. there are people out there who disagree, you know, but, but we have usually that mandate, like that spiritual integration, of, uh, if it were your kid, again, not that this has to be the policy politically, but if it were your kid, when would you give up? Does that make sense? Again, that doesn't make a good political policy, but as far as you, the worker, when would you give up? And most of us would say, "Well, probably not. Probably wouldn't give up. Uh, probably keep working." Um, you know, I would. I desperately want for them to make different choices, and I want for them to change their perspectives, and I want for them to start moving in a positive direction instead of spiraling down. But but it doesn't change our behavior, action towards them. Just like, you know, if we're talking about here we are, a Christian university, um, you could use, you know, illustrations like <laughs> uh, Hosea and
0: Gomer. Hosea and Gomer. <laughs> um, there's, some, there's lots of stories of unending pursuit. So we're going to go ahead and wrap that episode. Um, but yes, um, any quick final thoughts or questions before we do? All right. We have successfully stirred up all of the Hornets and now we will continue thinking about it. Uh, so thank you, listener, for putting up with us and joining in the conversation. We do hope you will leave some comments or discussions and possibly a favorable review on iTunes or SoundCloud. Thank you for listening. And we will be back with more Smart Council. We love your feedback and value of the conversation. Please drop us a note at smartcounselpodcast at gmail.com. Please also feel free to rate and review us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and anywhere your podcasts are hosted. Smart Council has been edited by Breakfast Puppies. Our logo is by Thomas Moore. Theme music was by Nate Bosford. Thank you for listening, and let's keep the conversation going.
1: This podcast was edited and produced by (laughs) breakfastpuppies.com.